And Lara, who's excited for the word? I know I am. Yes. Come on, let's welcome our lead pastor, Pastor Joe, as he comes to bring up the word of God. Yeah, please. Hallelujah. Man, I feel like we had church already. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Amen. No, no, I'm serious. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. We would be lost without him. We would be even worse than lost. We'd be dependent on ourselves. Oh, Jesus, help us. Amen. How many are seriously, with all seriousness and all soberness, I, I, how many of you are very grateful that in this dispensation of grace that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of every believer? Some of you are not sure yet. Hallelujah. Where do I need to go to get out from this? I know what Paul felt like on the road to Damascus. Amen. You glad you're here? I'm glad you're here because we're starting a new series this weekend. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the announcements and I'm I'm aware of what we're studying on Wednesday nights. And um, uh, I don't remember a time when everything lined up together like what what the world would call a perfect storm. Because um, the Financial Peace Group, which the teaching brings you peace in your finances... And if you don't have peace in your finances, I would suggest you get into those classes. Starts in a few weeks. On Wednesday night, we started a series a few weeks ago on the abundant life. And now, this weekend, we're starting a series on finances, about how the Bible portrays finances and what God has to say about it. Um, how many, how many, you might have found this out, I'm not sure if you did, that you need finances to live. Yes. How many found that out? Okay, just a few. The rest of you, just, they're like air ferns. You're just taking in nutrients from the air. How many of you know, let's get serious. How many of you know you need money to live? Okay, good. Thank you. All right, so we're going to start this series this weekend. Tonight's going to be the introduction because, you know, in order to talk about this subject, and let me back up for a minute, okay? Okay. Uh, There's been times in the 26 years that I've been pastoring where I've seen the Holy Spirit all of a sudden revive certain teachings because he knows what's coming up. I've seen it in the past when all of a sudden there's this strong impression to teach on healing. And then to come to find out that there was a whole bunch of people in the congregation, whether here or Wall or Bayville, that were suffering with sickness. Isn't it awesome that he knows not only what's going on in our lives, but he also knows what's coming up in the future? And look, I'm not concerned for this, but I know there could be a lot of concern in the very near future about finances, okay? Uh, Most of the world is in very fragile, in a very fragile position right now financially, okay? Now, don't let that get on you, because we're not of the world. Somebody said to me a long time ago, aren't you concerned about the economy? No, it's not my economy. Just what's going on in Wall Street, what's going on in the banking system, what's going on in the financial realm doesn't have anything to do with us. We're of a different kingdom. Are you getting this? I know know some of you sitting there going, yeah, sure. Uh, This guy lives in fantasy world. No, the scriptures are very clear about this. And there's, there is a lot of 
evidence in the Bible, and I, I use that word intentionally, evidence, because we need evidence to come to, a, to a, a, a place of faith, to come to a conclusion, to, in order to reckon something, in order to count it up and figure out what's going on. We need, we need faith, and we need evidence builds faith, okay? Now, we're going to go throughout this series is, is presenting what the Word says as evidence to you so you can build your faith, okay? God has always protected this ministry. God will always protect this ministry. God has always supplied what this ministry has needed in accordance with what he's called us to do. I have no concern for that, okay? But there may be some in our congregation whether it's here, whether it's in Bayville, whether it's in Wall Township, okay, that maybe haven't had access to that kind of teaching. And I know, uh, I thank God that when I was born again, I didn't even realize how great the church was that I was born again in because I had nothing to compare it to. And we had tremendous teaching in the Word, tremendous teaching in the Word, especially in the subject of health and the subject of finances because those are the two main things that keep people up at night. Yes or no? Yes. Talk, turn to somebody and say, he ain't lying. He ain't lying. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? So, we're going to go into this teaching so that we get geared up because there's a real good possibility in the near future that you may have people come to you whose finances has, have dissolved and their financial security has been ripped out from underneath them. You don't know, okay? And so we're going to get equipped so that when people come to us and say, how come everything's falling apart, but you seem like you're still doing okay? You know how to answer that question. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? We're told, we're commanded in order to, in order to be prepared to give an answer to those who ask the question, how come you have peace and the whole world is falling apart? You got real quiet. Uh, I'm, I'm going to assume that you're letting it sink in. I'm not going to assume that you don't believe that, okay? But I'll give you one example in the Word, and then we'll get into the teaching, okay? Now, the clock is ticking tonight. You're going to have to listen very closely because I'm going to have to move fast, all right? Israelites are in Egypt. You remember this, Exodus? Okay. Do you remember what happened when God began to proclaim and declare the plagues over Egypt. They decimated Egypt, right? What happened to the Israelites? They prospered. They prospered. When there was darkness in Egypt, there was light in the land where the Israelites lived. When the Israelites, when the Egyptians' cattle were dying, the Israelites' cattle were getting fat. And so on and so on. Listen to me closely and get this in your heart. God always makes a distinction between his people and the people that don't believe in him. Which side are you on? Say, I'm on the belief side. Amen. Okay, so you ready? All right, good. All right, so we're going to begin with a very basic foundational truth because I'm telling you this, if you don't get this truth and if you don't get it settled in your soul, you will never get the correct biblical perspective regarding God's will for our finances. Is it up on the screen yet? Let's go. God is good, and his will for you is good. I want you to say that with me. In fact, you know what? Out of respect for God, everybody stand up. 
Put one hand up to God and say this with me nice and loud. Ready? One, two, three. God is good and his will for you is good. Get that in your heart. You can be seated. Let that settle in your spirit. Because if you don't get that, you're going to see everything in the word of God. It could be right in front of your eyes, the goodness of God, and your soul will reject it because you don't get this bottom line foundational truth. He is good. That's it. Settle it in your heart. But you don't know what I've been going through. I know you're going through stuff. We've gone through stuff. But it doesn't mean it came from God. Make the separation. Make the distinction. I'm going to tell you very early on, John 10, 10, you better memorize it. You better get it in your heart. You better be speaking all the time. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, destroy. I have come that they, us, may have life and have it more abundantly. How do you argue with that one? Look, I know there's many of us, many. Look, everybody in this room has been through things. You may be going through things right now or you're on your way out of things. That's life. You're either, you're either in it, you're either heading into it, or you're either coming out of it. And guess what? When you come out of it, there's another one waiting down the street. Okay? But don't accredit that to God. Well, isn't God in control? God, we mix up God's foreknowledge with God being in control. We assume that because he knows something that he's the one who's bringing it. No. We live in a world, you've got a target on your back. The enemy hates you because he can't get to God. He thought he killed Jesus. Now he's ended up with billions of Jesuses all over the planet for the past 2,000 years. And he, doesn't, he can't take an aspirin because he doesn't have a body. Are you listening to me? Amen. You are a target. Settle that. I know this is not scripture, but the idea kind of... Look, how many of you have seen the Godfather movie about 20 million times? It's not personal. It's just business. Get it in your head. The devil's job is to whack you. Are you getting it? Yes. Don't blame God. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, it's not personal. <laughs> it's just business. <laughs> God is good and his will for you is good. Psalm 145, verse 9. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Amen? Amen. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes... Blessed, not cursed. Blessed is the man who takes what? Refuge in him. He's our strong tower. He's our refuge, according to Psalm 91. Amen? Amen. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Come on, say it with me. Nice and loud. For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Yeah, somebody should be shouting by now. He's good. He's good. He's good. And his will for you is good. He doesn't set up landmines in your life. 
He's good. If anything, he sends the Holy Ghost to go clear out the landmine so you're not taken by surprise. Because he'll, he'll tell you, hey, don't go that way. There's a trap there. Don't go that way. There's a trap there. And what do we do? do we, sometimes we listen, but most of the time we go, oh, okay. And then we step on a landmine after he told us not to do that, after he told us not to say that, after he told us not to go there, after he told us, you know, give us direction. And then when it blows up on our face, we go, God, how did you let this happen to me? He didn't let it happen. You let it happen to you. He was trying to tell you all the time, but you're too busy on the phone. Oh, he had to go there, right? Listen to me. Don't be one of those ignorant people that go around saying, well, I don't hear from the Lord. Stop that. Every time you say, I don't hear from the Lord, you're establishing that in your life. Because he's going, hey, 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 but you're too busy. I don't hear from God. 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 Well, guess what? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow, and I want to add, unless they're not listening. It's going to get better. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know this one. You probably have the bumper sticker, the T-shirt, the keychain, everything. <laughs> Refrigerator magnet. I think we do have one. Like 25 years. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, I taught on this a lot years ago. And I went and looked it up in the original language. In the original language, it paints, paints an even more impacting message. The phrase to give you hope in the future should more accurately be translated to give you hope to connect you to your future. You didn't get it. You didn't get it. I have a hope that my God is connecting me to my future. I've held on to that hope for the past 39 years. From the first day, the first day that I came to know him, I had a hope alive in me that he, however he was going to do it, it's none of my business. Because, you know, I'm just like you. I try to figure out, how's he going to do it? How's he going to do it? How's he going to do it? What's it going to look like? He gave me a hope, and he gives you a hope to connect you to your future. I don't know if I could see it. The important thing is he sees it. You press in, just like the Holy Ghost spoke early tonight. Press in. Press in, press in. I didn't know what was going on in my early years. I knew he was good. I know he had a good plan. I used to scare my wife. I'd come home from church, and she wasn't even born again. And I'd go, Barb, I don't know what's going on, but I know there's something on my life. I know. And I wasn't talking out of arrogance. I was talking just honestly, just objectively. Like, I know I'm not supposed to be just sitting in a pew someplace. I know that someday we're going to be involved in ministry. And she goes, shut up. You're getting me scared. Just stop talking about this stuff. <laughs> And then a year and a half later, after she watched her crazy husband for 18 months, then she decided, well, this stuff is real. And then she jumped in full force. Are you listening? He's good. I still feel like there's somebody going, yeah, I don't know about this. He is good. And he's got good plans for you. Okay? Now, we understand that every once in a while, the devil gets in those and tries to get in those plans. But you've got to hold on to the fact that he's good. Pastor, I just don't understand what's going on in my life. You don't have to. You, just hold on to him. Just, just picture yourself like a little kid with, you know, holding daddy's hand. Just go, I don't, I don't know where we're going. But I'm with you. 
God is good. Uh, look, if I got to stay on this one for the next four weeks, I will. Because I'm telling you, if you don't get this nailed, if this doesn't become part of who you are, that you have the ability because you see it in the word that he is good. Yeah, but I haven't seen it in my life. No, that's the stupid mistake you're making. You're trying to judge God by your experience instead of by his word. Amen. Don't do that. That's what foolish people do. You're not foolish, are you? No. No, no, no. Everybody didn't say no. <laughs> you're not foolish, are you? No. You see, if somebody reads the Bible without the interference of man's tradition, and that's what most of us have suffered from, and religion, religion. Well, I'm a very religious person. Oh, my God, please don't say that. That's what put Jesus on the cross. Okay, don't say that. When you start reading the Bible without the interference of man's tradition, we can't help but come away with the truth that God desires good for us. And Jesus himself sought to establish this truth. Luke chapter 12. Verse 27, Jesus speaking, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Look at verse 28. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of what? So, so he's telling us if we're wondering about all this stuff, we have little faith. We're not trusting him. Look at verse 29. He backs it right up. And do not seek what you should eat, what you should drink, nor have an anxious, nor have an anxious, nor have an anxious mind, nor have an anxious mind, nor have an anxious mind, nor have an anxious mind. Because we're told to be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, we're told to make our known to who? Not the other person on Facebook. Not go on there on Facebook and throw all your stuff out there. This is what I'm going through. I need 29,000 people to pray. No, you need one person with faith to pray. Amen. Let the other 20 or 28,999 Watch what God does. Sometimes it's a mistake when you put all your stuff out there. You think everybody wants good for you. Oh, you didn't like that one. It's between you and God. You don't need a thousand people to be believing with you. Because, you know, I don't know if you've, now nobody in here would do this, but, you know, sometimes there's people that they tell you to your face, oh, yeah, I want the best for you. I'll pray for you. And then when they turn around, they go, what's your name again? Oh, pastor, you can't be talking about believers. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, you ready? Okay. So, do not seek what you should eat, what you should drink. <laughs> Where do you want to go out to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go out to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go out to eat? I don't know. Should we go here? I don't know. The next time that happens, turn to the person that you're having this discussion with and say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. 
Yeah, we laugh. Let's not even go there. All right, so in other words, he's saying, don't have an anxious mind. Don't worry about all these things. Look at verse 30. For all these things, the... I'll say it again. For all these things, the... Now, that, that, that word, that word, for all these things, the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that the things that you need. Now, that sounds very, like, cutesy, very uncontroversial. You know what that word really means? If this was in Hebrew, you know what that word would be? Goyim. People without God. Are you a person without God? No. For all these things, the Goyim, the ones that don't know God, seek after and your father knows that you need these things. Now, I don't know about you, but if I found out that my kids needed something and they didn't come and tell me, and they're telling everybody else, I would be highly insulted. I would be very angry with them. I would say to them, what's the matter with you? Why couldn't you tell me that you needed this? Why couldn't you tell me that you needed that or the other thing? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're all looking at me like I'm the only person in the world that would think that way. Imagine what God thinks. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble tonight. Imagine what God thinks when we, of course, you wouldn't do this, but maybe somebody you know, put pressure on another person to get a need met rather than just trusting God and going to God for the need. How would you feel? Okay? If you found out that your kids went to your next-door neighbor and asked them for a loaf of bread instead of coming to your house, then why are you talking to everybody else about what your needs are? He's good. He wants the best for you. To the extent that he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that the power of his goodness would be released into your life. And then you go to the world for every little thing that's going on? Hallelujah. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Look at verse 32. I love this. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the what? The kingdom. And most of the time, we don't want to go to him for a loaf of bread. He says, I'll give you the kingdom if you'll come to him. I'll give you the kingdom if you'll trust in me. I'll make, I'll make it come. Doesn't matter what way it comes, I'll get it to you. Why? Because he's good. Amen. Now, I want you to do this. Don't say a word. Don't grunt. Don't do anything. But just take an inventory of your life and think how many times that you tried to meet your own needs rather than going to God. To the extent that you find yourself habitually doing that is to the extent that you have not developed a track record of trust with your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus found himself having to correct and sometimes rebuke the religious leaders. He referred to them as blind guides. Because they led the people astray by their wrong perspective of God. If we have a wrong perspective of God, the people that we influence are going to have a wrong perspective of God. Why? Because there's a principle in the book of Genesis. Every seed reproduces after its own kind. So we got to make sure we're changing 
the seed that's coming out of us so that we're not making, instead of making disciples, we make unbelievers. It's extremely important to know the truth about God from the word of God, not man's tradition. Well, pastor, you know, the church I grew up in believed this way. Man? Well, the church I used to go to believed this way. But does it line up with the word? Well, you know what? I haven't gone to church. I formed my own beliefs. Well, good for you. Do they line up with the word of God? Well, the way I say it, who cares? Excuse me. Who cares the way you say it? What if the way you see it is going to put me in a hellhole? What if the way you see it or this belief system that you developed on your own because you want to submit to somebody or didn't want to be part of a church or didn't want to go and whatever, or you got yourself all mixed up because you took a little bit from this one, a little bit from that one, a little bit from this one, a little bit from this Oh, and by the way, I listened to this guy online. I watched this guy on television. And now what do you got? A mess. A mess. It's important to know the truth about God from the word of God, not man's tradition. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. Now, listen, I never thought about this this way up until putting this teaching together. That statement is true no matter who or what you believe in. That statement is true no matter what you believe in. Okay? If you're hearing a twisted, misguided perspective of God, you will develop your faith accordingly. How many times have... Uh, I'm not going to... Listen. I'm not, gonna, I'm not picking on a denomination. I just know about this one because I was brought up in it. Okay? How many times have you tried to talk to a Catholic about Jesus? Don't tell me about that stuff. I have my own religion. That's the trouble. That's the trouble. Well, this is the way I believe because this is the way I was raised. I was born, you fill in the blank, and I'll die to fill in the blank. And I used to tell my relatives, and you're going to go to hell believing that. Don't get mad at me. The greatest love that you can show somebody is to tell them the truth and show them the word of God. Well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. How, how, how many feelings are they going to suffer when they go to hell? Because you had them right in front of you and you didn't tell them. You're afraid you're going to hurt their feelings. You know how they're going to curse you when they end up in hell? Because they'll know. They'll remember. They'll remember. Oh, pastor, you really believe that? Yeah, Jesus said so. The rich man in hell knew Lazarus, remembered everything that happened in this life with Lazarus, and he's burning in hell. He's still there right now. All right. I'm so glad I came to church tonight. Okay? So your faith is going to develop according to what you're placing that faith in and what you're hearing. And a lot of people, let's, let's now bring it back to what we're going to be talking about, because this is a setup for the next few weeks. A lot of Christians, I'm talking about people who are born again, have been fed a lot of garbage as it pertains to finances. So, so now we got to undo all that junk, demolish the whole thing, and build from scratch for some people. For some people, it's just a little bit tweaking. 
Some people get very angry when you, you hey, we're in church, you shouldn't talk about finances. Are you kidding me? If you can't talk about finances here, what are you going to talk about? Because that Bible is the only thing that has the answers. The world system doesn't have the answer. The world system just wants to enslave us more, put us in more debt, take away any possibility of profit, take away any possibility of contentment, fulfillment, peace of mind. All right, you ready for the message? Because I got to go, I got to move fast here. Okay, biblically, biblically correct perspective of God. He came to save, not destroy men's lives. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, and set messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they, the Samaritans, did not receive him, Jesus, because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. They hated Jerusalem. Jerusalem hated Samaria. Verse 54. When his disciples, James and John, the two brothers... When his disciples, James and John, saw this, what did they see? They saw their master being disrespected by the Samaritans. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Now, go read that story in the Old Testament. There's a whole bunch of people got swept down, got burned alive. Okay? 55, verse 55. But he, Jesus, turned to rebuke them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, now watch this now. I don't want to get off on a side journey, but watch this now. Maybe I'll teach on this in the future. Do you notice that he didn't say they couldn't do it? Did you notice that he didn't say you're not capable of that? In fact, the fact that he had to rebuke them means they had the ability to do that. But is that why Jesus came to the earth? No. So let me ask you this question. If Jesus came to the earth to save men and women, obviously, you know what I'm talking about. If he didn't come to destroy our lives, why then when something bad happens in your life, you blame him? How did God let this happen to me? You getting this? Next one. We're talking about biblically correct perspective of God. Jesus is the Savior, not the one who condemns. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is the Savior, not the one who condemns. John 3, 17. We all, everybody knows John 3, 16, but we usually stop there. Look at what verse 13 says. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. saved. So, so he's good, right? Yeah. You see how weak he got? He's good, right? Yes. Okay. Many of us are familiar with the story of the woman that was caught in adultery. But if you read that story, you'll notice that the religious leaders handled the situation completely contradictory than the way Jesus would handle it. You remember it? John 8, 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law, the religious people, and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in, the fr in front of the crowd which they, they caught her in the act of adultery, she's most likely completely naked, okay? And they threw her in front of the crowd. That's how, how wonderful these religious people were, how compassionate they were, how so full of God's grace they were. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? 
And they were trying to set a trap up for him and to saying something they could use against him. But Jesus, you know the story, stooped down, wrote the dust in the finger. We could talk about that another time. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And you know, when the accusers heard, they turned away and walked away one by one. Now, so if God was not good, and Jesus is God in the flesh here on earth, then God would have acted the way the religious people wanted to. But because he's good, and I know you're sitting there going, we know this stuff, but you're not realizing how that creeps up on the inside of us sometimes. It's easy to say, I know God is good when everything is going good. It's when everything is falling apart that you have to hold on to, God is good. Are you listening? Next truth. God's will is that none perish. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises, some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Why? Because he's good. And the will that he has for us, the plan that he has for us is good. And that plan includes every aspect of our lives. But pastor, you just don't understand what I'm going through right now. I know my heart is with you. It doesn't negate the fact that God is good. Wrong perception about God can cause a believer to live in poverty all the days of their natural lives. And many Christians entertain unbiblical perspective of finances. I'm going to go through a few of them, and then we're going to stop. We'll pick up next week. How many times have you heard this one? Money is the root of all evil. How many have you heard that? Come on, let me see. Let me see. Money is the root of all evil. That's in the Bible, right? No. What does it say? The love. Oh, I'm so proud of you guys. You can't imagine what that does to a pastor's heart. I'm so proud of you guys. It's the what? For the love of money is the root of all, all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith. So that means Christians can get themselves in that position to crave money. Crave money. And have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with what? Many sorrows. And then, and then that same person will have the nerve to go, uh, uh, how did God let this happen? No, you let it happen. You let money become your God. You put money on the shelf with God, the Holy Ghost, and Jesus. Guess what? He doesn't share the throne with anyone. So you got it, right? I don't have to talk too much about this, right? Because we know money itself is neutral. It's what you do with money that determines whether it's good or evil. Listen to this, please. The same money that's in the hands of a drug dealer is the same money in the hands of a missionary. One results in death, the other one results in life. Same money, same money, same money. Say that, same money. money. Number two, to be poor is more godly than to be wealthy. Well, you're going to knock out most of the people in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, come on, poor in where? Spirit. Poor in spirit. Not poor in pocket. Jesus promised to bless those who are empty, beat down spiritually. Really, that word really should be translated vacant. 
He did not say that you had to be poor to be blessed. If that's the case, then he would have, he would have ahead of time told Joseph of Arimathea, I don't want your tomb. God actually calls some people to be benefactors in the kingdom of God, using their God-given wealth to bless those in need, to support projects to further the gospel, I mean, missionaries, Bible translations, provide food and water to help out in disaster areas. God literally raises up individuals. But I'll tell you what, if you crave money, not going to happen. Not going to happen. The scripture in the Old Testament, he who loves silver and gold, silver and gold is never enough. It's never enough. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, verse 2, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, with whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's, Herod's business manager. Herod's business manager. His, Herod's business manager's wife was supporting Jesus' ministry. <laughs> he raises up people. You want to be one? I want to be one. I want to be one. You only got a half a dozen people here that want to be one. I want to be one. But listen to me clearly. I can't do this without saying this. You qualify for that. You qualify. There's a qualification process. He doesn't give resources to somebody who's going to be wasteful. He doesn't give resources to help others to somebody who's not a good steward, not a good manager. All right, we'll talk about that more. Number three, God is not concerned about our finances. He has better things to be concerned about. That we just blew that out of the water in Luke. I, I don't need to read that scripture again. Your heavenly father feeds those little birds. How much more value are you than they? Don't, start, don't spend your time like the Gentiles, like the goyim, like the unbelievers. Don't be obsessed over, oh my God, what am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to... You drive yourself crazy. Now, uh, I got to stop in the next four minutes. Okay, going to listen real close? Okay. Third John, verse 2. Again, you got to get this. You got to get this scripture. You got to get John ten ten deep in your soul. You got to get Third John, verse two. Third John, verse two. Third John, here we go. Hallelujah. No, that's not it either. Third John, not John 3. All right, I'm just going to read it. When you get it up there, that's fine. Don't, don't be pressured. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Amen. New Living Translation says it this way. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Go back to the, go back to the other translation, first translation, New King James. Beloved, so who's it written to? Us. Us. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through John, right? Yes. 
Come on, guys. This is the Holy Ghost speaking the will of God through John the Apostle, yes? Yes. So then we should have no argument with this at all, okay? God is saying, I pray that you may prosper in a couple of things here and there, in in all things, and be in health just as you're so proud. Oh, you're one of those health and wealth preachers? John was. John was. Now, watch this now. Talking about qualifying. I pray that in all, that I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your what? Soul. So that's the qualification right there. There's some people whose souls are not ready to prosper. They'll bring it to Atlantic City. They'll bring it to the racetrack. They'll bring it to a corner in some downtown city and shoot it in their arms. They'll waste it on stuff they don't need. They don't qualify. But as our soul prospers, what happens? We qualify for more and more and more and more. And listen, don't ever think that he's going to run out. No. Don't ever think he's going to run out. What we should be concerned about is this. Not whether this is true, not whether this is uh, scriptural, not whether it's accurate, because it is. It's right there. There's no way to twist those words. What we should be concerned about is getting my soul to prosper. So that God can use me as a conduit, as a channel, as a way for his goodness to flow towards others, and we take our hands off of it and give the glory to God. Amen? Amen. Prosperity in the kingdom of God doesn't have any strings attached to it. Make sure when you're blessing somebody, you don't remind them three weeks later. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've had people come up to me and say, weeks, weeks after the fact, did you see that check I put in? No. No, I don't, I don't do the offerings here. I purposely stay away from the offerings. I don't want to see who gives what. Every once in a while, I have no choice. Of just, I find out things, but I don't go looking for it. Well, I'm human just like you. I don't want to treat somebody special because they give and treat somebody else that doesn't give. Maybe they're just not in a position to give, to treat them different. I don't even want to have that temptation in my heart. And if, and if you've been that kind of person, repent to God because there should be no strings attached. When you give, you're not giving to me. You're giving to the kingdom. Amen. We're good? Amen. Last scripture, and then we're going to be done for tonight. You're going to come back next weekend? Yes. I would bring somebody, especially somebody who's struggling for finances. Okay? And listen, get the, if this thought has tried to penetrate your head, get it out of your head. Because normally when a pastor starts preaching about this, people start going, oh, the church must be in trouble. He's teaching on finances. Oh, honey, this church is in good shape. I wish my personal businesses in the past were as successful as this church is. Trust me. Okay? We're in good shape. The reason we teach this is for you to learn the principles of the word so that you you can go on with your life and never have to be concerned. How am I going to pay my electric bill? How am I going to make my car payment? How am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to put my kids in school? Listen, that's something you parents better be actively believing for because you can't put your kids in public school anymore. 
Yeah, I know. I stepped on the toe. I'm sorry. You better start believing God for provision and get those kids out of this world system. Get mad at me. I'll pray with you. We know how to believe God for that stuff. Okay, even in bankruptcy, God provided for our kids to go to Christian school. Doesn't mean it's got to come from you. It's going to come from him. But you at least need to have the faith to believe God to put your kids and take them out of an ungodly system and put them in Christian school where they're not sitting in Sunday school classes over here in children's church going, well, what do you call it? Uh, Mr. Martin is teaching me this, but my teacher in school taught me this. Man, somebody needs to hear this because I didn't want to go in this direction at all. Believe God to get your kids out of an ungodly system because faith comes by hearing and they're hearing stuff that's completely contradictory to what you're trying to teach them and what we're trying to teach them. Don't put those kids in that tug of war. And if you're a public school teacher, my heart goes out to you. But doesn't negate the problem. Hallelujah. I got in enough trouble tonight, didn't I? <laughs> Look, you can't talk about this kind of stuff and not be a little bit controversial. I'm not going to worry about that stuff, okay? I'm going to be real truthful with you. You didn't hire me. You can't fire me. I didn't read the last scripture. Psalm 35, verse 27. Let's read it out loud all together. One, two, three, right? Actually, you know what? Stand up. We'll read this, and then we'll be dismissed. Ready? One, two, three. Nice and loud like you believe it. Let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause. Let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Thank you, God. He has prosperity. He has pleasure in the prosperity of who? Oh, you see how quiet you got? Let's do it again. He has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. servant. Who are you serving? Are you serving you or are you serving God? If you're serving you, if you're serving you, your resources are always going to be limited. If you're serving him, <laughs> amen, John. We've been around this stuff for a long time, and we've seen it works. It works. Amen? Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. If not, be sure to be here next week. God bless you. God bless you.